I did a graveside service uh, a few weeks ago. And I got there early and I was talking to the funeral director and the funeral, I said, how are you doing? Oh, I just can't wait till Christmas is over. I said, why is that? She said, because of all the suicides. We're slammed. We're flooded. National Institute of Health reports that depression reaches its peak at Christmas time. Hospitals and law enforcement report a high rate of suicide and attempted suicides at Christmas time. A study reported that 45% of Americans said that they dread Christmas. A Psychology Today study concluded that the main cause of uh, this depression at Christmas time is disappointment, expectations that aren't met, that aren't fulfilled. Have you ever been disappointed at Christmas? Are you disappointed this Christmas? You can feel terribly disappointed at Christmas. A lot of people are going to be terribly disappointed this Christmas because they're not going to get what they wanted. But I think even more are going to be disappointed because they do get what they asked for. And then they find out it really doesn't satisfy them or fulfill them. And see, we're talking about this because Christians aren't immune from this either. Christians are not immune from major disappointments and even depression at Christmas. And yeah, that, I mean, that just sounds so contradictory. <laughs> we're celebrating the birth of the Prince of Peace, all right? But we're not experiencing it in our lives. So, again, the question I pose to you today, have you had any disappointments this Christmas? Well, yeah, I bet you have. And some of them are going to be minor, but some of them could be major. And if that's the case, I want you to take heart, because all the major players in the first Christmas story, they all faced major disappointments. I mean, what about Jesus? He suffered major disappointment. He was rejected and crucified by the very people he came to save. What about Mary? She had to be terribly disappointed to be gossiped about and under suspicion and whispered and looked at. Joseph, he became the brunt of all the jokes because his fiance turned up pregnant and it wasn't him and he was going to lose business over this. You see, all the major players in the first Christmas suffered major disappointments. And secondly, all of them had to take a long, costly, somewhat disappointing journey or trip. Jesus had to travel from heaven to earth. <laughs> That's quite a trip. We can't imagine it. But he came from heaven to earth where he was, in heaven he was adored. Here on earth he was scorned. Mary and Joseph had to walk or ride the donkey, maybe, okay, for about 100 miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, for the, all for the purpose of paying higher taxes. 
And as we're going to talk about today, the wise men, as we find their story in Matthew chapter 2, now they had to travel. They took a trip. They had to travel over 1,000 miles over a barren desert. And, and there were no Hampton Inns or Wawas. But the wise men found Christ in their Christmas. And friend, that's the challenge for you and for me. To make sure that we have found Christmas in this celebration. So let's find out how in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Sounds good so far. But verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was what? He wasn't just disappointed. He was disturbed. He was deranged. And was it just him? No. The whole city was upset and terribly disturbed. Now, why? Because Herod, I mean, he was beyond disappointment. He was a deranged man. Everybody in Jerusalem knew that if Herod was upset or disturbed, they knew that Herod would start slaughtering anybody, anyone that he considered a threat to his throne. And so you see in Jerusalem, the first Christmas was a terrible mess. When he called together all the chief priests, verse 4, and the teachers of the law, Herod asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He didn't know the scriptures, but they did. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, that's what the prophets wrote. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, this is in Malachi, or excuse me, uh, Micah, for you, Bethlehem, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Bethlehem is just a small village, okay, but not least. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi back secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully this child. And, and as soon as you find him, report back to me so I can go and murder, I mean, uh, worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they'd seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary. They found Christ in the Christmas mess. And we want to find out how to do that too. These magi, we call them wise men most of the time. But the term from, they, they were part of the Medo-Persian Empire, the, the ones who had overthrown the Babylonians. And these men were scholars. They were students. They, they mastered astronomy. They could tell you every constellation. They could tell you the movements. They were, they were scholars of astronomy, mathematics, uh, and history. Now, the question then that comes to mind is, why would these scholars, who lived a thousand miles away from Bethlehem, why would they make a 2,000-mile round trip, okay, 
not by plane, not by car, on camel, not on superhighways, but going through a barren desert and go to do what? To find a baby. Why would they do that? Well, he was the king of the Jews. Well, they weren't Jewish. What did they care? Why would they have done that? Because 500 years earlier, there was a prophet in the Babylonian Empire. His name was Daniel. He was a, an Israelite taken into slavery. But God spoke to him and revealed things to Daniel that were just amazing. And one of Daniel's revelations and the prophecies was of a huge statue. And we've got a picture of that. And it was a statue that had kind of four different parts made of four different materials. And we're not going to go into the detail of that, but this, this prophecy was amazing. Daniel was given this information by God, and he revealed it to people that there were going to be four world empires that would rise and fall. The Babylonian which had already fallen to the Medes and the Persians. The second one, the Persian Empire. The third one would be the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. And then that would be overtaken by whom? The Roman Empire, the mightiest empire of all. So Daniel revealed that in 500 B.C. And he and other Old Testament prophets also revealed that this Jewish baby was going to be born. And he, that he would become the king of a kingdom that would never end. These four empires would. They'd be overthrown. They were temporary. But there was going to arise a king who would rule a kingdom that would never end. And the birth of this king, the king of the Jews, who would become the king of the whole world and the king of heaven, that his birth on earth would be announced by a star. And they saw that star. And you see, Daniel's prophecy, it was outlandish. When he said that in 500 B.C., they're going, what are you talking about? But these scholars knew that prophecy, and they saw it true, coming true in every detail over the past 500 years. And these, we call them wise men because they were wise enough to do something about truth. They were wise enough to do something about what God has spoken and revealed to us. And that amazing prophecy being fulfilled, that's what made them take that 2,000-mile journey. It was a long trip. Probably took them one to two years total. It was a very dangerous trip. They had to go through deserts, which were full of marauders and thieves. It was a costly trip. They had to pay for the guides, the beasts of burden, the food. They had to pay for a whole caravan to make that kind of trip that lasted for up to two years. See, their, their trip was not a, you know, a fun trip to Disney at Christmas time. It was grueling. It was expensive. It was dangerous. It was full of disappointments. Uh, ever taken a Christmas trip that was a little disappointing? First time I ever slept in an airport overnight in Atlanta at Christmas time. Ever been stranded in a snowstorm Christmas time? Ever had two or three or four streaming kids in the car on a 20 mile or 20 hour trip? <laughs> yeah? Okay. Maybe your spouse was doing that. I don't know. Okay. 
And the question is, how can we find Christ in a Christmas that's so common, so prevalent in our world? If you ask people what Christmas is really about, I think if, you know, they're really uh, honest and cut to the chase, a lot of people would say, well, you know, it's about giving gifts and getting gifts, okay? I mean, that's why the family gathers. That's what you do when you're getting and giving. And friend, let's use those two words. If we really want to find Christ, if we really want to experience Christ, really do that and make our Christmas about him, what should we get and what should we give? What should we get? Get the best gift. There are a lot of gifts you can get. A lot of gifts you will get. But they have the best gift. What do you really want for Christmas? You've, you've thought. Okay. What do you want for Christmas? You've thought about something. Now, some people want a white Christmas, right? You know, there's just that nostalgia about it. You know, snow just kind of falling down, making everything beautiful and white. Uh, do you think that's going to happen here in Sarasota on Christmas? Breaking news. We are going to have snow at our Christmas Eve service, I promise. You come. You invite someone. But no, snow, I mean, that's not the main thing. You know, a lot of people, what do you really want for Christmas? You want the family all together. And everybody happy about it. No conflicts. No fighting. No rolling your eyes at Uncle Harry. What are the chances of that? Finding the perfect present. Okay, for someone. I mean, you just really care about someone. You just want to give them the perfect gift. Or, or you want to receive a gift that you're just really going to love. The perfect gift. Yeah. Is that going to happen? Maybe. Now, for some of you, in fact, a lot of you, you know what you're, you're just hoping for for Christmas? That your favorite team wins. Because if your team doesn't win, you're going to be depressed. Come on, be honest about it. All right? See, we, we want all kinds of things. I remember the Christmas I got underwear. I was hugely disappointed by that. I read about a middle-aged man, and he asked his wife what she wanted for Christmas. And she, I mean, they didn't need anything. They were well off. And with very little thought, she said, well, something that makes me look sexy and beautiful. So her husband gave her an exercise bike. <laughs> Ever been disappointed by what you got? Ever been disappointed because Christmas didn't deliver what you really wanted? Christmas isn't the problem. What we're looking for is the problem. What were the wise men looking for? The best gift ever given. Jesus. And friend... God wants to give you that gift. And is that the greatest gift that you desire? 
the Son of God. Because, see, anything less than Jesus can't satisfy your soul. Your soul is eternal. No gift will. No earthly gift will. God gave the best gift. God gave the ultimate gift. God gave the eternal gift to you. God gave his son to save you and me. God gave his son to walk with you right now, today, in the challenges that you face. Tomorrow, in the challenges and responsibilities you have. Every day of your life. And friend, one day, to walk you through heaven's gates. Because he's the only one that can get you through those gates. And that's the gift. That's the gift. How do we get it? How do we get the Christ? How did the wise men find him? They went on, they went on an all-out search. There was nothing that they were not willing to give up to find the king. All out search. Jeremiah the prophet said this. That God said this through Jeremiah. God said in Jeremiah 29, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with what? Your whole heart. When that's your utmost passion and desire to know Jesus. To have Jesus as your life. God tells us to seek him and to love him with our whole heart. And the problem is, you know, for us humans, that we, we just gravitate to loving other things more than God. We love stuff. We love success. We love social media. We love sports. We love, we love self. The wise men look for the right thing, the Son of God. And secondly, they looked in the right place. How did they find out that Jesus was in Bethlehem? How did they find out? Through the word of God. Friend, we've got to look in the right place if we want the Son of God. And, and again, you know, thinking about that, that prophecy that Daniel gave in 500 B.C., 500 years earlier. And, and friend, today, isn't it amazing? God's word Thousands of years old, 4,000 years old. It's never been proved inaccurate. It's never been proved historically correct. There are times when, you know, scientists or historians will make some claim. Oh, well, the Bible's false. because No, then years later, archaeologists dig up something. Science, history, archaeology, they do not disprove the Bible. They confirm it. Time after time after time after time after time. But we humans, again, we tend to look for what we really need, love, meaning. We tend to look in the wrong place. We, we look in social media. We look in our job. We look in other people, okay? We look in the wrong place. It's in God's revelation, God's truth to us. They looked for the right thing. They looked at the right play, in the right place. They looked at the right time now. You know, again, one of our problems is, you know, so many people say, you, you know, one day I'm, I'm just really going to love God and go all out for him. But, you know, right now I just can't because I'm busy and I've got things and I've got to 
do this and, and I don't have enough money and I don't have enough time. Or, Friend, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day we get right with God. We'll get disappointed if we look for satisfaction in other things at Christmas parties, presents, even family. Now, I would rank family second in my Christmas gifts <laughs> to experience the love and togetherness of family. But friend, here's the reality. Your family's not perfect. There are going to be disappointments that you have in family. Maybe it's just a reality. There's only one person perfect, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. So how, how do we find Christ in a disappointing Christmas? The angel said to Joseph, Joseph, name this baby Jesus, which means Savior. That's what it means. Name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Someone has said this. If our greatest need as humans was information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need is forgiveness. And so God sent a Savior. Christmas is about getting the gift, the gift, God's gift to us. Christmas is about giving. It's about giving the best gift. You know Jesus' words? It is more blessed to what? To give than receive. What was he saying? He's saying, you know, giving, if we, if we make, give a greater prior on giving to others rather than getting from others, we'll be happier. We'll be healthier. We'll be holier. <laughs> really. Your heart, your life, your spirit, it, it's better to give than to get. And one of the basic realities of that is that when we give, we become more like Jesus. We become more like God in that way. They're givers. God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus gave everything. Gave himself, gave his life. Giving. Giving is the only thing that will keep you from being selfish. You ever thought about that? If we never give, we're just keeping for self. Giving's the only thing that'll keep us from being a selfish person. Now, giving gifts. Who is the most important person that you should give a gift to? If you're married, you'd probably say your spouse. Hope you would, okay? If you have a parent, maybe a child, have a good friend, friend, who, who, who is the most important one to give a gift to? None of those. God. God. 
The wise men found Christ in the Christmas. In verse 11 of chapter Matthew 2 tells us why. Because on coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. What is the greatest gift you can give to the greatest person? God, I'm saying, he's a person. He created us in his image. He's a personal being. We are personal beings. So we have, who, what is the best and greatest gift you can give? Worship. That's the greatest gift you can give. Worship to God. And, and see, worship is not what we get for ourselves. When I come to church, you know, I want to, you know, enjoy the songs. And I want to hear an interesting sermon. And I know you do too, and I'm so sorry you're disappointed. But you, I mean, and you want people to be nice to you. And you want to leave, you know, with a good feeling and, and say, oh, man, that was a, that was a wonderful service. It, you know, it made me feel good. Friend, worship is not about what we get. It's about what we give. Now, I believe with all my heart that when we really give our worship to God, we will get more than we ever imagined. But worship is about what we give to God. And worship is not a one-hour-a-week religion. You know, worship at Alliance is not 9.30 to 10.30 Sunday morning. It's people of Alliance Worshiping and loving God with all their being all week. It's a relationship with God. It's not a ritual. You know, it's not a service. It's our service to him. Worship is not just an emotional experience, feeling good. Worship is a life changer. It changes our attitude, behaviors, priorities, all those things. Worship is not... God is a part of our life. It's God being our life. Jesus Christ being our life. Like Paul, for me to live is Christ. That's worship. True worship is putting God first. And, and what's, what's the first commandment God gave of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have what? No other gods before me. Worship is putting God first. Second, worship is giving back to God. The wise men worship by giving gifts to the Lord. And friend, I just want to say to you that real worship will make us real givers. I mean, if we come into God's presence, we have a relationship with God. If we're listening to God, if we're experiencing God, God is a giver. To us and to the whole world. If, we, if we're really truly worshiping, we want to be givers too. We want to give back to God who gave everything that we have to us. And one of our core values here at Alliance is we get to give. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. It's, it's an overflow of of God flooding our lives with his love and his grace and his mercy and his blessings on us. And, oh, man, we get to give back to him. And God gives even more because he sees that he can trust us with whatever he gives us. And if you love someone, you want to give to them. You do. You, you just want to give them things and good experience and whatever. If you love someone, you want to when we love the Lord, we want to give. It's an act of worship. Giving God what? Giving Him our time. 
how long did it take these wise men to make this uh, 2,000 mile trip, 1,000 miles each way? How long did it take them to, to do that? One to two years. So Herod ordered the, the death of all the baby boys under two, okay? So it wasn't, you know, the next day. They didn't come to the stable. He was in the house. How long did it take him? It took a long time. Worship God by giving him our time. How much time do you give the Lord? I, 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 just, I have the same struggle you do. I get real busy with stuff. It's really easy to crowd God out. I want to give God more time, not less. I want to schedule it. You know, first thing in the morning, not, you know, hopefully crowd in a few seconds before I fall asleep at night. Giving him our time. It's giving him our talents. We said these men were scholars. They knew all about science, astronomy, mathematics. That was their talent. That was their gift. That was their skill. And what did they use that for? To find Christ. Giving God our talents to serve him and to help others find him too. And giving God our treasures. They opened their what? Their treasures. And they gave Jesus gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, giving will give to God, but will give to others in the process. Because actually, see, I mean, you can't really give to God. I mean, have you ever gone up into heaven and presented him the check? You know, or the gift card? No, you can't do that, all right? Because, well, he doesn't need what we have. But when we give to, uh, to help others find Christ, and when we give to help others, we're giving to God. The wise men, you know, they brought these gifts. Do you think that Jesus took them, you know, and held them in his arms? No. He probably gave them to Joseph. The wise men probably gave those gifts to Joseph, all right? What did Joseph do with those gifts? They were very costly. We don't, the Bible doesn't tell us, but the Bible does tell us that then when Herod ordered the death of all the baby boys in Bethlehem, that they got up in the middle of the night and fled, and then they went to live in Egypt, and they lived there for two years. What do you think financed that trip? The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Giving. True worshipers give gifts that carry out God's plan. You know, when we, when we give, okay, here at Alliance, it's, we're not just, you know, keeping the lights on. We're not just buying supplies or whatever. We're, we're giving to carry out God's plan of bringing people to know his son. Our, our giving to God has eternal implications and importance. True worshipers give gifts to carry out God's plan. True worshipers give eternal treasures and not just earthly toys, okay? See, Christmas time, there are just going to be so many material gifts that are going to be given. And how long will those matter? And, and, and as I thought about this, I'm going to give toys. I'm going to give earthly gifts. I'm going to give material gifts to people. Okay, I want to give spiritual gifts to people. Things are going to last forever. What are eternal treasures we can give people? Love. We can love them. Despite what they do and who they are, we can love them. 
forgiveness. You have people who've hurt you. And Jesus said, forgive them. Forgive them. If, if they deserve, need any punishment, I'll take care of that. You give them forgiveness. That's what we can give. That, and that's an eternal treasure. We can give them the good news. Uh, Pastor Mike talked about that uh, card, that invite card. Please give it to somebody. Please give it to somebody. Survey, uh, they, they polled uh, people who, didn't, who were not churchgoers. And they said, would you go to church if someone invited you? And about half of them said, yeah. And Christmas Eve is the best time in, of all. Invite somebody who needs to hear the good news. You're helping them hear the greatest news of all, that they can have the greatest gift of all. Helping others. We want to help people in our community. And I'm going to ask uh, Dean and Joita and Kim and Donna to come up uh, real quickly. And I got a microphone here. Uh, Pastor Mike mentioned that we have partnered with Lakeview uh, Elementary School. And uh, with, there's two programs that we want to do. And they're just going to tell you briefly about those today because we're going to rejoice. This is a way we can give as Christ followers to help others. I'm Dean. And I'm Joita, and we're just here to pump you up. We met with the principal at Lakeview uh, this past week, and there's a couple of ways that uh, she said we could help out. And one of the quotes she said is that we need more Jesus on school, school grounds. But one of the um, things that we uh, heard is that working with after-school care, they would love to have people come in, uh, meet with kids on an average they have about a hundred over a hundred kids every day and just work with homework their emphasis is getting homework or maybe uh, have some uh, go out and play with the kids and so if you have uh, an hour and a half or so to give uh, during the week from like 315 to 5 that would be one way that they would find helpful at Lakeview but there's also another way say that uh, you're working yet so the fourth Saturday of every month, we're going to go to Lakeview um, School on Saturdays from probably 9.30 to 11.30. We're going to offer a time for families to come and do crafts, have a continental breakfast, and do activities otherwise um, just as a family and hopefully have the food bank there. So we're looking for volunteers to help with that also. So there's two ways that you can volunteer. Well, I'm going to... You can volunteer for the after school. That'd be like one hour a week. Um, the way that we're talking about is informal. You would go in. They're looking for people just even to go out on the playground and push kids on swings. It, it can be that informal. It can be um, sitting beside them while they do coloring because, of course, they just need attention. Lots of kids just need attention. But So we're looking for volunteers. Or you can be behind the scenes if you're not an upfront person. There's two ways. You can come and talk to us. We're going to really start a big push after January, or we're going to come and tap you. Donna and I are here to pump you up also, but we're not as choreographed as the Berkeys were. Um, last year, I learned about a, a ministry at my son's school, Gulfgate, that's called Kids Hope, and it is a mentoring ministry. Um, and so I've been in mentoring in the past. I know how awesome it is and how much it impacts students. So I inquired about it and learned that it was only one hour, one day a week. And so I took a training that Kids Hope provided, 
learned about it, and last year I got connected with a young girl um, who is in the second grade. And the students that are on this mentoring are usually children who have some problems at home and are um, acting out at school. And my little girl is doing that, but she is the cutest, most spunky young little girl. And um, I was able to pick out with the teacher a time that would work great. So she and I meet at lunch one day a week just for one hour. And some of the things we do are academic, but most of it is just to be a consistent adult in her life. And I ask her a lot of questions. We do some fun things. We play some games. Um, and one of the things I found out with her is that she likes art. So last year, I brought some sidewalk chalk. So she draws pictures sometimes. We do spelling words. We do math. It's just a way to connect with her and learn kind of what's going on at home and to help encourage the process of making better choices at school and just being that stable person there in her life. Um, and the neat thing is also I met with her last year in second grade. Now I'm meeting with her. She's in third grade, and I will stay with her through her elementary years. And she knows that I'm the only person that comes to the school to meet with her. I don't meet with any other student. And so to her, it's a really special thing that it's Miss Kim who's coming to meet with her. Um, so Donna's going to tell you more about it, but it's been an amazing thing. And I come away so blessed each time. And I'm going to bless her. But as you guys know, often God blesses you just for showing up and, you know, being what I can be for her. So when I heard, out of, uh, heard about this mentoring program from Kim, I thought, that's great. Our church could also do that. So we've gone through training with Kids Hope, and we have partnered with Lakeview, and we're really excited about doing that. But we are looking for volunteers. So again, as Joita said, we'll come tap you if we need to. But I've already had people express an interest, so thank you. And today, I do actually have some more information we can give you and a volunteer application. We are going to be doing training in January, and that is when we'll start the program. So if you are interested in the mentoring program, we would love to talk to you after the service. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. Cool. Oh, good. I have two more minutes. All right. I'm so sorry. I have really gone a long time, but man, what they're talking about. Those are exciting opportunities. Those are ways that you can give. Oh, and friend, that's God's a giver. Jesus is a giver, and we want to be givers too. You can give eternal treasures to people this Christmas. Yeah, go ahead and give them some of those earthly toys. Give them some eternal treasures. Parents, grandparents, you know what you can give your children or grandchildren? You can give them God's truth. Don't expect the church to do, th to do that by themselves. You do it. You can give them truth. You can give them a godly example. You can show them what a Christian really is. Oh, that, that's eternal. Husbands, hey, let's be real here. Give your wife some time. Precious time. Listen. Talk. Be with. Give them tenderness. Adore them. Give them security. That's an eternal treasure. Wives, what can you give your husbands? Give them encouragement. Give them respect, the Bible says. You know, they'll be better leaders, better men if you give them that, than criticism. See, eternal treasures, that's, that's what we ought to be giving. 
things that last forever. And the whole point of this is, see, some disappointing things are going to happen to you this Christmas. Those shouldn't keep us from finding Christ. Finding Christ in the Christmas. How do you do that? You get the best gift. If you don't get anything else, you've got Jesus. God gave you Jesus. Have you asked him to be your Savior? Are you walking with him as your Lord? That's what Christmas is about. Get the best gift. Give the best gift. Worship. You start worshiping God, it'll change your life. You, you be in God's presence, it'll change your life. It'll change your relationships. It'll change your job. It'll change you. Give him the worship that he deserves. And then you'll find Christ in your Christmas. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you that men and women like us found Christ. They didn't, they didn't let the problems, they didn't let the busyness uh, stop them. They were on an all-out search for the Son of God. And God says, if you seek me, you will find me. Oh, God, I just pray that everybody here will get the best gift, get the perfect gift, get the ultimate gift, the eternal gift, Jesus Christ. Friend, do you know Jesus is your Savior and your King, your Lord? He's coming back for his own. He wants to take you to heaven. Get the best gift. And then give the best gift. Worship to God and eternal treasures to others. Father, we praise you today. Thank you for Christmas. It can be just an awesome, amazing time in our lives, no matter what others around us do. And Father, we want to worship you in Jesus' name.